You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Anyway, praise God. Welcome to church this morning. We're going to pick up in the series. We're nearing the end of this series for what we want to get covered. We're going through the various stages of development. We're looking at spiritual development, but we're using some things we can observe from natural development to help us gain some insight. And so our core text for this series is Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to go back there again this morning. Uh, We'll start off in verse 11. Um, So this, by now, should be very familiar. We've read this every week. Um, Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, or rather, speaking the truth in love, I'll insert the word we, it's it's given, it's the implied subject there, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, I've said many times, and I'll I'll say it again, that word perfect doesn't mean flawless. When it's used to describe people, it means mature, grown up, um, of full age. How do we know that we've reached completion? How do we know if we're growing up or if we've grown up? What's our standard? What are we comparing ourselves to? Well, it was in verse uh, 13 there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The more we grow up, the more we look like Him. Um, I will add uh, Luke 6.40, if you put that on the screen. says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And if we are a disciple of Jesus, that's us that we're talking about. That when we are fully trained, we will look just like Him. We won't be more than Him, but we'll be just like Him. He is the standard. Can we really operate in this earth like he did? Can we really pray like he did? Can we have faith like he did? Can we be led by God the way he was? Can we really think his thoughts and speak his words? And the answer to all those is, yeah, we really can. Now, guess what? An alarming percentage of the body of Christ in the earth today does not believe that. They have this idea that he is just way, way up there and we are way, way down here and never the two will meet. At least not in this life. That's not the picture scripture paints. That's not it at all. In fact, it's not even just a suggestion. We are told, be like him. That's what it means to be a child of God. We need to become like him and look just like Jesus. It's what he desires us to be. He said in verse 14 that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro. You realize that's one of the most tormenting things in life? 
not saying the only, life has torments, but one of the most tormenting places to be is indecision. I don't know, do I go this way or do I go that way? Is this the right thing or is that the right thing? Should I do it or should I not do it? Do, do, do I do it now or do I do it later? The, the indecision, the being tossed to and fro in your own mind, if I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Where's God? There's an answer for that. But that place of indecision. He says as we grow up, we're not tossed to and fro like that. Why? We come into that place of being led by him. Yes, decisions still have to be made. Storms still rage. But we sit in that, can I say, the eye of the storm, saying, Lord, how do I handle this? And he lets you know. And we are led by him. And he navigates us through the storm, sometimes in the best ways, sometimes avoiding, sometimes going right through the middle. Probably not the same thing every time. But being led by him, Romans 8, 14 says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I've pointed out before, but that word sons does not mean children. There's five different Greek words that mean, can be translated children. That's the fifth one. And it means full grown, adult, mature sons. That's, that's weos is the Greek word. And that's what's in this verse. It's the weos. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the weos, the full-grown, the adult, and the mature sons and daughters of God. It's not a gender, so, but that's where we're going. When you get to that place of maturity, you're led by Him. And then you, you're not tossed to and fro. So back in verse 14, uh, verse 15, um, but I'm going to switch to the New Living Translation. It says, here's our answer, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, his church. And I like that one too, growing in every way, more and more like him, growing to be more like him spiritually, more like him mentally, can I say emotionally, more like him intellectually, more like him being led more like him. How about more like him in love, joy, peace, and the next six, (laughs) fruit of the Spirit, (laughs) that I should have memorized, you'd think I did. All nine of the fruit of the Spirit, we can grow in all of them. Even patience, which is the one some people grumble at. You know what you grumble at? Really even more than that is the word long-suffering, which might be the same one, depends on translation. What? Suffering a long time. What? Just choosing to. Sometimes just bearing with one another in love. But that's, and oh, some people don't like that. But the more we grow, the more long-suffering you walk in. Just like you walk in more love, more self-control, more patience, more long-suffering. What? How much long-suffering do you think our Father walk, lives in, walks in, even with us? Yeah, I won't go down there. But if you ever had kids... You love them. But they can be a trial sometimes. So what do you do? You just, you suffer long and you love them. And you help them through just like our Heavenly Father does with us. Amen. My little child, that's us. So here's our answer. He tells us in order to go down this path, we are speaking the truth in love. And I think 
I think you can both combine and separate. You could say it's speaking the truth in love, but it's just as accurate to say we speak the truth and we walk in love. It's all the above. It's both pieces. But if we're going to grow, and we like the idea of growing every day, right? Then we walk in these every day. Every day we're speaking truth. Every day we're walking in love. We're doing both of these. Now, what's the opposite of truth? Probably lies, deception, but we'll say lies. What's the opposite of love? A lot of times our go-to answer is, well, hate. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'll, I'll give you a more biblical answer of the opposite of love. Selfish. That would be a a little more accurate. Love, what's the number one way love demonstrates itself? John 3.16. For God so loved, he had so much love. How did he, can I say, vent it? How did he relieve some of that pressure of love? He gave. He gave. He loved us so much, he gave. The number one expression of love is to give. Uh, Selfishness, on the other hand, holds back won't give Um, love prefers your brother and sister selfishness prefers self and looks out for self protects self so in in that sense the opposite of love would be selfishness Um, I want to look at a verse I'm still in the new living for this one but first Peter 2 verse 21 he says for God called you to do good even if it means suffering Wow, I didn't. I was setting that up, wasn't I? Just as Christ suffered for you, He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. Look at verse 22. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. The, uh, I don't have it on the screen, but the contemporary English version says Christ did not sin or ever tell a lie. Not one. I'll say this, that, oh, it's gone. (laughs) Sorry, Kyle. (laughs) I was going to point at the verse on the screen, and it wasn't there. That's a picture of maturity in Christ. Someone who's mature in Christ, they don't sin, they don't deceive anyone. They never tell a lie. Are you seeing it? Let's go back to Ephesians 4. But we've been reading that same kind of passage again and again and again. I want It's in the same context. It's still the same passage. But let's jump a little further down the page. Go down to verse 21. I'm still in New Living. But Ephesians 4 verse 21. He says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and... There's deception. There's deception in your old nature. In that flesh nature that is still following us around. In in this body of flesh that's been corrupted by a fallen world. There's deception in that nature. But what's he saying? Put off that nature. Don't live by that nature. Don't let that nature dominate you. What's he say? Instead, verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let... Let the Holy Spirit do a work in you, okay? And in verse 24, 
put on your new nature. Now, now pause. What's the implied subject in verse 24? That's you. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit has a part, and he will work on. It was a previous verse. He'll work on your thoughts, and he'll work on some attitudes. He's going to help you work on it. But you have a part to play. This is not a matter of just sitting back and, well, God's doing a work on me. No, we cooperate with that work. He wants to do a lot of work in us, but he needs our cooperation. We work with him. This is our part. Uh, Put on your new nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Look at verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Isn't it interesting? Is he speaking to a bunch of unsaved worldly people? No. He wrote that letter to the church. And what did he say? Stop telling lies. Do you have to say that to Christians? Do you have to say that to a church? If you were to ask, probably any Christian, I I would guess, hopefully, if you ask any Christian, is lying wrong? They would all say, yeah, that's bad. Lying is bad. Shouldn't do it. I would hope. Yet, you'd be shocked if you really knew how many lies were told in church. Hopefully not from the pulpit. Hopefully not. But how many lies get told maybe in the fellowship hall or in the kitchen or in the parking lot or at the restaurant after church? How many lies get told? Yet if you ask us, no, no. Now, look at the context of what we're talking about this morning. He puts this in the context of we're growing to look more like Jesus. And in this growth, we speak truth. And we are putting off the deception. And we stop telling the lies. But it's in the context of because I'm growing to be more like Jesus. So if you think of it that way, and you come across a Christian who tells a lie... What's that tell you? They're not growing like they should. They're not getting down that path like they should. Maybe if you want to be kind, I don't know, maybe you can just say, well, they're just getting started on that path. (laughs) You know, they just, maybe they haven't been saved long. I don't know. But if they have been saved for a while, should have learned a few things by then. Should be a little ways down this path. Somebody who deceives to any degree is not growing. They need to be growing. Some people, and, I, and, and before I even say this, I don't have anybody in mind. I don't know what your situation, your story is. And my parents aren't even in the room today. <laughs> but some people grow up learning to lie from mom and dad. Now, in, in the cases I'm thinking of, if you were to ask them, is lying wrong? Yeah, lying's wrong. But... There are situations where telling a lie maybe gets them out of a a hard situation or maybe keeps a job or tries to save a friendship or all of these unique situations and circumstances where we decide, well, in this case, maybe telling a lie is the good thing to do. And, And so we even get the idea of, well, I just told a little white lie. 
what is a white lie? I did not look this up. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Is, is, a, is it a white lie because we think the outcome is actually going to be positive? So we put white in front. I, I don't know. I did, did not look up Webster's or idioms or anything. But we have this idea of a white lie because really it's the best thing in that situation. The problem with that, you'll not find scripture to support that. You'll not find any situations in the Bible where a lie was the right thing to do or the proper thing to do. Mm-mm. So why then is it such an issue? And again, not picking on mom and dad, so just throwing that out there, you know, don't know what your upbringing is. And I'm not saying that mine was that. <laughs> don't run to my parents. Guess what Brian said today? <laughs> Did you have a lying problem when he was young? No, 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 no. I'm just saying, you know, we all know people, right? <laughs> not us, but you know, there's this so-and-so. But you understand what I'm saying? Let me get serious about it for just a moment. I'm going to make a big statement. There is nothing more satanic or devilish than lying. Can we back that up? Um, John 3. No, that's not a 3. That's an (laughs) 8. I can read my notes. John 8, (laughs) verse 44. I'm jumping into the end of the verse. Yeah, that's not it. Did I give you John 8, 44? See, I turn my back, and there it is. I'm just going to quit, and I'm just going to go. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to the part where he says, he, this is Jesus talking about the devil. He says, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You could also say, he fathered it. He created it. He is the inventor of of lies, of lying, of telling a lie. He was the first to ever do it, and he's the source behind it. It's his nature. The complete Jewish Bible says when he tells a lie, he is speaking in character. That's his character. Because he is a liar, indeed the inventor of the lie. So with that being said, yeah, there's nothing more devilish than telling a lie. That's that's him. That's his tool. He created it. He invented it. So back to this idea, sometimes it starts young. And I'll use this example because it's innocent and it, it's stereotypical. And I'm not trying to shine a light on anybody. But maybe you have a young child and you hear a noise in the kitchen and it's a familiar noise of maybe a ceramic lid on a ceramic jar that you keep cookies in. And you recognize, I know what that noise is. And you maybe work your way into the kitchen and there's, we'll call him Junior. And there's Junior. And the lid's on a little crooked. Crumbs on the counter. Got some chocolate on the lower lip. Something in his mouth he's still chewing on. And you're like, did you get in the cookie jar? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. And, and the temptation is just that, to laugh, because it's funny. Why? Because you're like, all the evidence is right here, and you have the audacity to shake your head and say no, and to a parent, yeah, that's comical, except there's nothing funny about it. It starts young. 
And we have, as a parent, you begin to reinforce at a very young age. No, lying is wrong. It, it, it's, I found it a, a challenge. It's a bigger deal than even the wrong they committed. And, and trying to enforce, yeah, breaking the rule would get you in trouble. Uh, lying's gonna get you in all kinds of trouble. And trying to explain that to a child, you better just fess up and deal with it, because if you lie, oh buddy, it's gonna get far worse. And as a parent implementing that, because that really is what's going on, you, we've gotta nip that. It's in their flesh just like it's in ours, but we gotta nip it. Why? That's devilish behavior. That's not God whispering in their ear, just say no. Mm-mm. No, he wouldn't do that. So can I tell you really how God views that? He hates it. Now, be clear. He doesn't hate Junior. He doesn't hate people, loves people, sent his son to die for people. But he hates lying. Now, there'll be some that say, well, I thought God was love. He's not capable of hate. Oh, no, 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 no. It's kind of like we said earlier, that's not really the best definition of the opposite of love. But uh, can I show you something? I'm sure you've seen this, but Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yeah, seven are abomination to him. Um, there are seven things that God hates so much, he put a list in the book of Proverbs. And, and since the tone, he's not giggling when he rattled that off. This is not a funny thing to him. These are seven things that he absolutely hates. Um, the first three, he says, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. So at first blush, we'd say, wow, number two on the list, a lying tongue. He hates it. Hates Strong word, strong feeling, strong emotion in our Heavenly Father. But you could, you could even go to number one if you wanted to, that proud look. Pride and deception go hand in hand. Um, I'll say it this way, one aspect of pride, this, I wouldn't, you could say maybe even one definition of pride, but one aspect of pride is believing lies about yourself. It really is. Um, Obadiah, I don't think I put this on the screen, but Obadiah 1.3 says, you have been deceived by your own pride. Pride has a deceptive nature to it. And in some cases, even deceiving your own self, believing lies about yourself. But you go back to this list then, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises a wicked plan, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Made the list twice. One who sows discord among the brethren. You want to kind of meddle with that one, don't you? You ever know people that they just, they stir pots? They just, they'll say something to one person and they'll say something to someone else and just sit back and watch them duke it out? <laughs> I, I've watched people, I, I don't get that. I, he hates that. Someone who sows discord. He's planting discord among the church. Getting the church to fight with each other and cause divisions in the church. I don't want that on a list when I stand before the Lord. I don't want any list when I stand before the Lord, but I don't want to be in the top seven. Okay, so in a sense then, where does that leave us? I'll just say it. 
You have two options in any given situation. Option number one, you speak the truth. In love. Sometimes you can speak the truth and beat someone up with it, or you can speak the truth in a way, in a manner, choosing your words to still deliver it in love, but speak the truth. Or you have a second option. Keep your mouth shut. There are some conversations that your best option is just get out of the conversation. Listen, don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go there. Maybe find a way to judiciously steer the conversation away from that topic or just find a way to politely excuse yourself and just say, I'm not going to have that conversation. There are times that's your best option. Sometimes that's how you handle the situation in love. But there is never an option to just lie, to purposely deceive someone. That's not an option for us. I want to go back, I don't know if I go back, go to John 8. Yeah, we are going back. You're going to see a verse we saw a minute ago. But in John 8, I'm going to start in verse 31. Um, he ends up having an interesting conversation with some, some, I think they were Pharisees. In verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, that is us. Our goal is to be like him. We are disciples of him. But what makes us qualify we abide in his word. And so that means, number one, we spend time in his word. We read his word. We hear his word. We spend time in his word. But then, not just hearers only, then we apply it to our life. We are doers of that word. If we never do the word, and I can show you this in another parable, another account, if we're not a doer of the word we hear, we're still not a disciple. It's not enough just to hear. We have to apply it. We have to do it. But as we then do those words we hear, now we qualify as his disciples because we're doing those things. And then he says in the next verse, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. A lot of people lift that verse out of its context. And we just say, ah, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that is true, but who did he speak that to? The disciples. Hearing a truth will not set you free. Doing the truth will set you free. You see that? Keep those verses together. So, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. That connects back to then being led by Him and not being tossed to and fro, but knowing where He's leading us, how He's leading us, how we need to proceed. Jump down, still in the same passage, we jump down to verse 39. It gets fun down here. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. (laughs) So, I'll pause just long enough to say, we may end up in situations like that. There may be times when you know, this is the truth I have to speak, and yet sometimes the biggest fits of anger or rage you will see out of someone is when you've spoken the truth. Um, That's what they did to Jesus here. He says, I did nothing but speak the truth, and you're ready to kill me. Don't be surprised if at some point in life we don't end up in a similar situation. We need to be led how to handle that. But huh. some, what, what's that tell you? You've spoken truth. 
they don't want to hear truth. They're not looking for truth. They want to hang on to the lies. That's a bad place to be. Verse 40 says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. (laughs) Abraham didn't do this. You do the deeds of your father. Uh Uh-oh. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Ever, ever felt like that? You are not understanding what I'm trying to say to you. He says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Are you seeing it? Hmm. So that is the nature of the devil. We, because we have the nature of God in us, we should be like him. We should hate lying. Some people, again, get nervous. Oh, we're not supposed to hate. No, it's okay to hate what God hates. If he hates it, we should hate it too. That same list of seven things, we should hate him. And the more we become like Jesus, we'll hate him as strongly as he hates him. Now, we'll also handle him the way he handles it. But it's okay to hate what he hates. Um, do you remember, we, it was a few messages ago, we had homework. This was early June. We were all supposed to read Psalm 119. Two verses that you would have read then. Verse 29, he says, Remove from me the way of lying and grant to me, or grant me, your law graciously. He says, just, just take that out of me. Remove that from my path. But look at verse 163. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. And that's good. That's okay. We should hate and abhor lying. His nature's in us. When you got born again, your spirit man was created in his nature, and in his image, in his likeness. One of the, one of the, if you dig into the Greek, it even gives you the picture of his very DNA is in your spiritual DNA. Just as you have physical DNA, you have spiritual DNA. And your spiritual DNA came from your spiritual father. His imprint is in you. And you have that same nature in you. Your spirit is like him. What? Abhors line. Abhors it. Um, I don't even know if I gave these to Kyle or not, but Numbers 23, 19 said, God is not a man that he should lie. Titus 1, 2, God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. He can't do it. I would suggest in your new nature, in your spirit, man, you can't either. It's not your spirit you're listening to if you decide to deceive someone and tell a lie. That's your old nature having its way. Your new nature is just like your heavenly father. How many times have you seen in the Bible where there's something that is impossible for God to do? 
That's a short list. But that's one of them. He can't lie. He can't do it. It's not his nature. His nature is truth. His nature is honesty. It's that other spiritual father whose nature is to lie. So we, you remember he, Paul told us to put on the new nature, to put off the old nature, put on the new nature. That's a choice. We choose. And that's not a one-time choice. That's a many times everyday choice. We choose to follow the inside, follow the spirit man and not the flesh, put on the new man and not the old. We make those choices all the time, again and again, every day. It's decisions that we make. Let me put this truth out there, and then I think I'll steer, I'll steer toward a conclusion. That's not my end conclusion just yet. But why is lying such a big deal with God? Now, there's more than one answer to that, but I'll give you a big one. Without honesty and truth, you can't have faith. If he told just one lie, if it were even possible that God could lie, and we know that, well, you know, he told that lie that one time, how can you trust him? How can you have complete and absolute faith in him if you know that even just one time, you know, there was that time he deceived and told a lie? How could you, how could you believe if, for any of the promises that he's made? How could you ask him for a healing? How could you believe for provision? How could you even look for direction? How can you have faith in someone if you can't trust them? And how can you trust them if you know they're capable of lying to you? Now that is absolutely vital and crucial in our relationship with him. The reason we can have absolute and complete faith in him is because he has never lied. He never will lie. Uh, He's incapable. So if he said it, You can stake your life on it. He can't lie. Are you with me? Now, there is an element of that in all of our horizontal relationships. It's really hard to be close to someone you can't trust. So it's important in that level. But in our vertical relationship, it's paramount. We can't have a relationship without that. Thank God that he cannot lie. Praise God for that. Okay, so I'm going to kind of circle back. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So even in this verse, in verse 25, I'm seeing put away lying or speak truth. In verse 26, I'm still seeing walk in love. But what what did he say? He said, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know what? Notice he didn't say you'll never be angry. He didn't even say it was wrong to be angry. He didn't say it was a sin. He said, you can be angry, but don't sin. Don't let anger lead you to do something that would be sin. Because... Two wrongs don't make a right, all right? Three rights make a left, but that does not help us. You can be angry, and there are times even in our relationships with one another. Yeah, none of us are perfect yet. We're getting there, but we're all still capable of, I chose from the wrong place. 
and I said or did something I shouldn't have, and I've angered someone else. You could be on either side of that. And it's okay. It's not wrong to be angry. But don't let that anger then drive you to do things that now you're in trouble. You can still be angry and love them. But be angry and sin not. There's right ways to handle those things. Are you with me? What is That's walking in love. And I hate to say it, sometimes there's a little bit of suffering in that. It's for your flesh. Your spirit man's not suffering. So now I'm going to work my way into a conclusion. We, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Babies are not developed in love. That, that goes both ways. Natural babies, spiritual babies, they're not, not developed. They'll, they'll get there, but they don't seem to start that way. When you're a baby, you're pretty much just looking out for you. Babies are really only aware of how they feel, of what they want of how something is affecting them, they're not real concerned with you. Think about, think about parenting. Um, now, my girls are older now, but you know we all go through the, the young years when your kids are little and maybe they didn't sleep through the night and from time to time they wake up in the middle of the night and they start crying. Um, that's normal. And I don't know what your situation was. In our house, um, mom had the ears for that. I mean, she could be in the deepest sleep. And the kids start crying, she's up. She's awake. I was not that way. You don't know how many mornings started off with, let me tell you what your kid did last night. Because <laughs> I slept through the whole thing. So, that, I, I don't know, maybe you're the other way around, I don't know. But if the kid stirred, she woke up. So, what would happen is kid starts crying. Crystal gets up. Walks into the kids' room, says, what's wrong? And my child would say, oh, did I wake you? I'm so sorry, Mom. I didn't mean to wake you. Said no kid ever. That did not happen one time. Not once. They're not even concerned that their crying woke you up. That's probably why they were crying, to wake you up, to come deal with what made them uncomfortable. Or whatever the situation may be. Why? That's what babies are. They're not concerned with anybody else. They're focused on them. Fun thing is, spiritual babies are the same way. They're not real concerned with the people around them. They're only focused on themselves. Even as adults, we meet people like this. And I won't give a lot of examples. I've heard some recently, some new ones. I'm not going to go down that path. But I'm going to use my normal example that I just used a few weeks ago. But I... I'll bring in something that's neutral to all of us, and that's the smartphone. Because just as much as they're a blessing, they're a curse. But cell phones in general, I remember the day where if they weren't standing next to a telephone, you just couldn't get a hold of them. Remember? Young people don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Phones were tied to things. There was no cordless nothing. It had this real long cord. And, and, and you'd get a longer cord so you could walk farther from the base, but you were still tied to it. They have, they're just glazing over. What are you talking about? No, cell phones allow us to now step into somebody's life, no matter what they happen to be doing at that moment. And people who aren't aware don't care. They have a question, or they have a need, or they have an issue, or something's going on, and they want you to stop whatever you're doing and just pause your life to turn all of your focus and attention on me and deal with my need because it's the middle of the night and I'm crying. You understand the comparison, all right? 
so I, that's my example. I use that a lot because people, some people just, want, they don't care. They're going to interrupt whatever you're doing. So what do I try to do? I, I, there's two things I've done to that. But the main one, the primary one is walk in love. Show respect to the person you're calling. And I try really hard to do this. I'm not perfect, but I'm getting pretty good. I lead off with, are you busy? Have, have you got a minute? What I'm giving them is an out. If they're really tied up in the middle of something, they actually took the time to answer. They could have just sent me the voicemail, but they took the time to answer. I'm still going to give them an out. If, if there's a better time to talk, maybe call me back, but are you busy? That's just showing respect. That's part of walking in love. And we, Have you ever had someone, I, I've had people in my life that would, I guess they're just bored? And so they call me, and I'm thinking, well, they must need something. And so we just start talking. And all of a sudden, you realize I've been on the phone 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, and we've never really hit an issue. We're not talking about anything important. And you realize they're just bored, and they just wanted you to be bored with them. Never mind. I was working on something. I was in the middle of something, but they didn't ask, and... You've had, you're, I'm, I can tell by the looks, you all have people in your life that are like that. What is that? They're not walking in love. Bless God, I'm sorry you're bored. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> you know? Show respect. Show love. Now, I will say this. The other thing I've started to do, and it, this doesn't quite connect to my message, but I'll throw it out there. I've started not carrying that phone at times. If I'm getting ready to spend time with my father and I'm going to spend some time in prayer or I'm reading my Bible or I'm, I'm spending time with him, now he's the most important person in my life and I'm getting to where I don't even take my phone with me. I just, I'll go put it somewhere. What? I'm respecting him. I'm spending time with him. There was a day when that was normal. What? You just didn't have a phone with you. You went somewhere and you're spending time with God. And back then, that was socially acceptable. What happened? <laughs> there are people that get offended if you don't answer, if you don't respond immediately. Really? So, I'm not looking for ways to be rude. On the contrary, I'm looking for ways to walk in love. But when it comes to my relationship with him, I put him first. Amen? Okay. So I guess I'll just end on that. I'm not trying to give a message on phone etiquette. That's really not my point. It's just an example of what? Walking in love. And sometimes love says, I'm kind of busy right now. Can I call you back? I'm in the middle of something. Is this really, really important? You know, it's okay. It's not rude, but you can do it in love. So we are always speaking the truth in love, always. And we walk in love. And that's how we grow to be more like him. Amen? Well, that's where we're going to stop for this morning. You can stand to your feet.